I'm unhappy right now. Something's not working. Breathe. You know, is there something positive I can see in that moment? You know, or can I be grateful for something? In this episode, we'll talk about living in India and Nepal for over 20 years, and then finally moving over to the West. We'll dive right into Daniela's Hartman Courageous story, where she is practicing her Buddhism principles and encouraging others to voice their needs and wants in order to find happiness. Be sure to listen in for all the details. Hello, my wonderful beasties. It's Tina, your host. Welcome to the Courageous Inner Beast, the place where you feel charged and get up with courage by calling in your inner beast. Today, we have Daniela Hartman. Hi, Daniela. Thank, uh, thank you for joining us. Please introduce okay. yourself. Hi, Tina. Um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. It's a real honor. Um, I've been watching some of your videos. They're just incredible. Um, yeah, I'm Daniela Hartman, and uh, I'm the founder of The Grit Blueprint. And yeah, and I'm here to talk a little bit about my story. Thank you. So what, thank you, Daniela. So what is your one creative story that you'd like to share with us? Well, what I wanted to share um, was my story, how I stepped out of the UN and I stepped into my Buddhist life. And then uh, the follow-up story of going from my Buddhist life in India and Nepal, where I lived for 20 years back here into the West, to bring that ancient knowledge and wisdom into a format that can help us to find our inner truth, our authenticity. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Can you? So, how did you start it? Like, how did you? How did it all start it from one end to another? Just curious on that. <laughs> well, it started that I I always was very international in my upbringing due to my mm. parents, all the moves we did, international schools. And uh, so I wanted to join the UN because, you know, how much more international can you possibly get? But it's a very complex workplace, of course, with a lot of different interests, a lot of different players. So there were moments where my integrity was being challenged and I had to go within and see how can I work with that. How did you like what were some of the things that like challenged your integrity? And because you said that you got out of the UN, but then like, yeah, so what did it do to challenge it and tackle it? Well, I was working on, on HIV and AIDS and I was working um, in Africa um, around the year 2000, where it was uh, the epidemic was really at its height. And there were medicines available um, that had been developed and it was clear that they could change an HIV infection into a chronic disease. But, you know, keep, we keep it in check. And these medicines, the patents for them were not given uh, freely to the countries, but uh, kept by, uh, by certain corporations <laughs> and uh, certain governments backed that up. Um, so that was difficult to see. There is medicine. It's not given in a way that people can access it. And um, yeah, was, and, and people were even, very sick. Was it even, uh, you said that it's not freely accessed. So who can access it or... Well, it was accessible to a very high price, which was just not affordable for the general population. Now it's different. Now the patents are open. Now it's it can be made generically. But at that time, it couldn't. 
Uh, wait, so how long did it take then? How long did it take from, when, when was that when you were in? Um, I was in Africa in 2000 and 2001. So it's over 20 years ago. Wait, so yeah, now it's yeah, it's good. Wait, have you ever figured out why it wasn't accessible then? Which, well, because the, there was a certain price to the medicine. So if it would be made generically, mm -hmm. uh, the people who are holding the patent wouldn't be able to get money out of uh, the reproduction or, you know, producing uh, the medicine generically in the countries. So that, that it was a patent thing. Oh, okay. And now they like said 20 years later, it's able to, they're finally... Yeah, the prices have gone down, it can be reproduced, and then so on, yeah. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was difficult for me to see as a young person at that time still, um, no. that, you know, people people were very, very sick, and they were dying, and they were not getting the care that they needed. And, and that was difficult for me to see, and it was difficult for me to live in a guarded uh, and gated community whilst uh, there were parts of the population who did not have that privilege. Yeah. And it, it was just a big difference. Yeah, um, yeah. so I, for me, I had to see, where does this come from? You know, why don't we you give what people need for their lives on, and so many other areas as well, not just medicine? Yeah. What keeps us as humans from it? And yeah, so I went, I dived into, into Buddhism to have this inner exploration. So I stayed 10 years in India for studies and 10 years I translated and supported teachers um, in, in spreading the, these teachings at that time. Oh, nice. And when you were in, you said Nepal or India, was it? Ten, 10 years, India, 10 years, Nepal. So both. Both. And I was curious, did you ever... Um like immerse yourself in the culture of like learning the language too. I'm just curious on that. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I lived at a monastery with 3,500 monks and 700 nuns. Damn. I stayed late. I never ordained, but I was completely part of, uh, of the culture and immersed. I mean, of course, there were certain things monks and nuns do that I don't do that, you know, like living in this quarters and having certain rituals and so on. But I was very, very near. And yes, I learned the language to a degree that I was able to work as a translator. And it was so interesting for me to see how is love and compassion lived? You know, how do you have the teachings, but how do we work with the embodiment? What's the everyday practice of that? And to be in an environment where that is paramount, you know, when you're always asked about your mind, you know, where's your mind? Taking responsibility for your mind, turning your mind towards love and compassion. To me, that was just amazing. What were some practices that kind of geared towards you that to love and compassion, living there for 10 years for both sides, India and Nepal? Yeah. Well, one of my favorite ones is to think that every being, every creature on this earth and probably outside of this earth wants happiness and wants to avoid suffering. But each of us, we have a different template, a different recipe for happiness. So sometimes people do the most awful things, but they still think they're going to get some sort of contentment, some sort of happiness out of it. And to approach it from that perspective and thinking, wow, completely misguided, but that's what they think is going to bring them some fulfillment, brings me some compassion. It just, you know, because I've done it too. I've done really stupid things thinking it would bring me happiness. And I'm sure we all did at some stage. 
Yeah, no. And the, yeah, and the other thing is, is just um, to see that um, there's a, a practice and we uh, say we have been reborn so many times that everybody could be our mother or our father. True, not true, I don't know. But um, we're said to just constantly hope for the hope, happiness of, of all beings and that their suffering will end. So often I go through the streets, even today, and I just think, hey, may you be happy. May you have love, you know. May there be somebody at home who takes care of you. You know, may your day go well. To so just constantly try to be positive, even from a bit unhappy <laughs> or pissed <laughs> off with somebody. It's a nice counterbalance. Yeah, no, it definitely feels that of having, like you said, like trying to avoid suffering and then trying to be positive and just feeling it for yourself. I mean, it seems like you're trying to have the balance of both ends of how you yeah. are in life it seems like right yeah and taking responsibility for our own mind you know we can change our mind at any moment you know we we can say hey i'm unhappy right now something's not working breathe mm -hmm. you know is there something positive i can see in that moment you know or can i be grateful for something so to kind of see everything we see is our perspective and nobody else's yeah so i'm just curious of like so you were living there for about 10 years, oh, 10 years in both countries. But mm -hmm. it's, it's Nepal a country? Yes, yeah. Nepal is a country <laughs> wedged between uh, <laughs> India and uh, China. Uh, okay. yeah. The Mount Everest is there. <laughs> um, so you were living in 10 years for, in both countries. What were some, I'm curious, what decided to choose those two countries to stay in for a very extended long time and also having the courage to stay in those countries based on you know all the barriers that could be like what drive you into those countries well India it was because it had that uh Tibetan population and the monastery so it was just a very accessible place for study um and yeah this it's um it was the richest place for me to to learn the this philosophy and nepal was because one of my teachers was nepali he had studied at the same monastery where i was and he went back home to um to spread his teachings to be back with his extended family and so i i followed him and i supported him in that and what i just loved also there it's a very buddhist country but also people are very yeah, very friendly. It's uh, always extended families, community, supporting each other, even in poverty, even in difficulties. There's a richness in the culture and in the spirituality that I do not experience like that in Germany. Maybe I don't have the access, but in India, Nepal is definitely more spiritual. But does it mean that you still have like people you're in contact with since you moved? Oh. All the time, all the time. Yeah, yeah. The, my second family is in Nepal. Um, my teacher and his mother and his brother and uh, who, whoever's out there. There's a lot. Do you still, so how often do you talk to them? No. Uh, actually, almost daily. Almost daily. <gasps> what do you guys usually talk about on like? Oh, all sorts of things. Uh, a lot about yoga, um, a lot about uh, teaching. Sometimes I do small translations, all of these things. Oh, having like a, a second family, it's always 
that feeling it's like oh, I can go somewhere else and know that they will be there for, for me and with me and vice versa too um, yeah absolutely so after those so it was like 20 years together mm -hmm. right so after those 20 years what transition you to live to move back to Germany to well it started with my parents just getting old and then uh, eventually passing a couple of years ago so I supported them and that was 21 right in the middle of COVID and um, all of these discussions about you know what what will happen through the pandemic people changing workplaces home office and starting to think about their lives. And many people called on me and said, hey, you know, with your meditation and contemplation, is there anything, you know, you can support us with? Because yeah. they had never been alone for so long. You know, they didn't know how to sit in their own living room with their own thoughts. And so I decided to build up this mo module, which I called the GRID or the GRID Blueprint which is uh, from grit, the G is uh, growth, and then the R, responsibility, and then the I going into integrity, and then D into diversity. And using Buddhist tools, but applying it in everyday life, on, and really having an insight into who we really are and access you know, our values, our way of perceiving the world, taking responsibility for our own mind, so we can become authentic and heart-centered leaders of our own life. So I always have this little joke that I say, you know, stepping out of the matrix and going into your own grid, you know, empower yourself and uh, build your own life. So that seems to be something that people are really responding to. So I enjoy working now with people one-on-one -on -one and supporting them into this uh, journey to their own home, as I call it. Oh, so like you've been, so ever since, I'm assuming like in 2021, when your parents, both your parents passed away, you, this was kind of like the launching moment of like the grid. And is it because of your parents never got to like sit down and be their own thoughts? Is that why, how it all started? Well, my parents, uh, they were already at a state where <laughs> that was not really the question anymore. But it was more my friends, friends of friends, family members, um, and people just uh, recommending me to other people. So 21, it was still um, sort of a side hustle, let's say. Yeah. Um, 22 was travel because I just, you know, after all the stress of 21, I really needed to get out. And um, I started the Grid Blueprint as a real business in the beginning of 23, end of 22, beginning of 23, um, taking on all the people that I had, you know, informally worked on with uh, before and taking new clients now. And how is it now with you? And like, what are some of the things that you did for Grid, uh, for, yeah, for Grid Blueprint right now and anything that would like to share on that too well one example is one of my friends um who then also became my client but i had already taken her on a few years earlier who uh, has her own practice and she kept on telling me you know daniela nobody listens to me people were actually taking money out of um out of the register uh, they were calling sick and it was very clear they weren't sick all of that happened, but continuously. 
So one day we really sat down and I said, come on, we need to have a few sessions together and get down to it. You know, why do people think they can treat you that way? And we figured out, or she figured out, um, I was just supporting her, that she had never learned to really stand up for herself, that she mm -hmm. thought being nice meant to be fawning, and that other people eventually, subconsciously, had the right to do whatever they wanted to do that would make them happy. And then we went back and said, what, what is your practice about? What are the values of your practice? Who are you actually serving? And can you serve? your patients if that is actually the atmosphere in your practice and that really was a light bulb moment for her to see that what she thought was nice or good was actually enabling horrible behavior and very selfish behavior on uh, on the backs of actually of her patients so she really turned around and got rid of the people who didn't want to change and work with the people who were actually wanting to uh, see her thrive in that practice. And now she's doing really well. Awesome. How did it feel for you to, was it like your, a friend, like a first friend that you, that you did this? So how did, how was it for you? Um, it was actually really nice. It was interesting for me to step out of the friend role and just say, no, we, we have to make that, um, create new boundaries and also teach her in a sense how to create proper boundaries from friendship to, you know, another kind of relationship. And the other thing was, um, it was just so nice to see how she was accessing her inner strength and that she was accessing who she really was in all of her beauty and all of her skills actually as a doctor. Oh, so she, she was her, oh, she had her own practice being a doctor, physician. Yes, exactly. So and and after that too, where like did you also were you able to help other like friends too, or was she the only friend that was besides your other clients, of course? Um, I had a two or three people who transitioned, but I also took on uh, new people now, and one of them had to started a new job, and the first thing he heard was that he had to let go of thirty people. Uh, in the company that was something that was not discussed with him when he started the job and everybody um, sort of laid back and they were waiting for the new guy to do uh, the dirty trick and um, and to to do the layoffs and and get all of the blame so we had a couple of sessions to really again go through into what are his um, what are his values what are the values of the company where are they uh, colliding or where uh, are they interfacing and then to see how important was it to let these people go how would it help but also to use something um, that in Buddhism we call that I don't know mind mm -hmm. so he was presupposing that the layoffs were actually something negative and I kind of led him into a few contemplations well maybe it's not that negative maybe there's something positive and a few months later, I asked him to call up these people and say, what happened after they got laid off? And actually, everybody was doing fine. You know, they used their severance pay for their new uh, for new businesses. They actually got better jobs. Uh, the pressure because these layoffs had been in the air for a while. This pressure was off. Yeah, but then there was also the other layer to deal with the people who had kind of given him this this bad uh, bad rap in the beginning.
But yeah, there are different things uh, I can do or, or I love to do because it opens people's minds to their own possibilities. Wait, so you mentioned earlier about like the I don't know mind. Like what does yeah. that mean? And I know it's just simply as I don't know, but there's more to it. So I'm curious of what that means. Well, it comes from Buddhism, uh, from Zen Buddhism especially. And um, it's not to be mistaken of, I don't know nothing. That's that's not the thing. Yes. The thing is, w- none of us know everything. So it's staying curious to other perspectives, other pers- uh, possibilities, uh, to something new coming up. Because the moment we think, oh, I know, we kind of close the door to something new happening. We can say, this at this moment, that's my perspective. That's what I know. That's what I'm confident in. And let's see, you know, what else is possible. Okay. So it's pretty much staying curious versus yeah. versus closing that door. Once you know something, you're like, okay, I don't know anything else. I mean, I know this is what I know. There's nothing else could come in besides what I know. Exactly. And how is it for you now, like today, as in like with everything in your life and when you started the UN and moving to Nepal and India, where are you now in regards of like your life? And just want to hear about more about that. About that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it feels like a cycle has been closing or restarting, or a new cycle has started. Because I never thought if you would have told me three years ago that I would leave Nepal, I would have said never. I really love that country, um, but I can see that. Um, People in Europe and in America and let's say the West um, are really looking for new doorways and new possibilities. And I think that's one of the things the pandemic has taught us that more is possible in a negative way and in a positive way. And to be able to support people, to bring back what I've learned over these 20 years um, it's actually such a such an honor for me. So I, I enjoy that. I'm having fun, and I'm, it's nice for me also to explore these different worlds, being allowed to be people's, yeah, people's support. That's all. I love that. I really love that a lot. <laughs> um, so I'm just curious. So, what is your one takeaway that you would like to share? Thank you for sharing your story, Daniela. Really appreciate it, and. So what is the one takeaway that you would like to share with us? Well, I think we should really look into our minds. We should know that we can all be these heart-centered, authentic leaders. Now, that's the only way, as far as I understand, because I, for me, authenticity brings coherence You know, between what we think, what we believe, what we do, we can connect to ourselves, we can connect to others, and we can represent ourselves properly in the world. Um, the moment we take responsibility for ourselves, that's the moment when we actually step into freedom and into right relationship with uh, our environment and everybody around us. And that opens up the doors to love, to healthy relationships, Um, to be able to actually voice what we need and what we want. And if we don't do that, we will always be a little off and that's painful. Oh, no, I I agree with that. 
like for me, I value freedom and that that is something like for me, it opens up so many possibilities. And, you know, you mentioning that is like, yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like me too. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yes. Uh, well, thank you again, Daniela, for being here and joining us. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank yeah, you. Everyone. Oh, there's one one little yeah. thing. Um, I mean, if anybody is interested in that work, um, I do have a free discovery session. I love to sit down with people over a cup of coffee and just talk to them about how I could possibly help them. So, um, yeah, just a little invitation. Yes, and definitely go for it. Everyone, go go see Daniela. She has great work and. If you want to get connected with her, all her information will be in the show notes and description. You will see it soon enough. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Well, that thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening in and joining with us. If you enjoyed this po- uh, you enjoyed this conversation and would like to just meet with her, meet with Danielle, please look in the description. And please leave a review wherever you're listening and look out for new episodes every Tuesday on The Courageous Inner Beast.